Thank you. So I am Ashley Frankie. Um, I am here today with my husband and five kids. We have some friends who came from, uh, from our church as well in Peachtree City. I'm an elder at Evergreen Church, which is in uh, the same presbytery as y'all here in Eco. And my parents even drove here from Noonan because this, this is a big deal for us right here. And I am so blessed to be here with all of you today. Um, when I was asked to do this, and I was like, sure, I'll consider it. And then I talked to Austin. He's like, so we're in Revelation. And I was like, oh, okay, yes. Let's, I would love to do this for the first time, Revelation. But he did give me one of the easier parts. So I am very grateful for that. I love how this service has come together with um, Ashley and Ina and everybody just kind of stepping up into roles because that's what the early church really looked like. Um, when they would gather, someone would have a word, someone would have uh, a prophecy, someone would bring a hymn. And so this, y'all are doing a great job. This is, this is awesome, and I'm so happy to be a part of this. Um, I am just here to bring a word. That's, that's my part. Uh, on that note, would you pray with me? Father God, I am so grateful to have this opportunity to be here. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart this past week be acceptable to you. Uh, may they build up the saints gathered in this room to equip them for your works in Griffin and their communities and beyond. Holy Spirit, would you fall fresh on the ears that hear and leave hearts and minds strengthened and transformed today. Amen. All right, before we get into our specific text today, uh, it'll be, we'll be starting in Revelation 3, as you saw in your bulletin. I just wanted to add a little suggestion to your study of Revelation, because you're still fairly early on. Uh, the book of Revelation transports all of us to the view of, of heaven looking down at earth. And so when we study it, we can begin to see the world that we live in today through heaven's lens, okay? So that can look scary at times when we look out at the world that we live in today, right? But if we remember the ending, right, that Jesus is going to return and he's going to claim those who, uh, who have been following him and loving him and proclaiming his name and keeping his word, they will dwell with him forever. We can live out of the story that Revelation is telling today, here and now. He's coming soon. He says this in Revelation several times. He's coming soon, so we got to get down to business. The church in Philadelphia today has quite a lesson for the church in Griffin, uh, and I can't wait to share it with you. I have watched uh, Pastor Austin's last two sermons with y'all, and I saw that he kind of went verse by verse, so that's what we're going to attempt to do today. I'll read the whole passage first, and then we'll walk through each verse. Again, in, starting in Revelation 3, this is the letter to Philadelphia. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close, because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, 
I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia that says the holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. It's a lot of opening and closing. But we see a very specific name and a specific role of Jesus in this first part. His name here is the holy one. Hearers of this letter would likely think of the title, the holy one of Israel, which is a reference found in Isaiah. We know that holy means set apart. His role here is the one who has the key of David, meaning Jesus is the holder of the key to the kingdom established by God. The original kind of key holder had the authority to admit or deny people into the kingdom on earth, but we know that Jesus actually has the authority to admit people into the kingdom of heaven. This mention of the key of David might remind the original hearers of uh, a letter, or sorry, of a section in Isaiah, specifically in chapter 22, it's a section that also contains prophetic messages to several specific people groups, uh, much like this part of Revelation. The Lord God of armies here has, has ousted the, the steward who's in charge of the palace in, in Shebna, and it says this, uh, beginning in verse 20, on that day I will call for my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and tie your sash around him. I will hand your authority over to him, and he will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will be a throne of honor for his father's family. Ah, wow. Okay, that is, I mean, echoing or the precursor to what, to what we hear today. We know that the whole story of the Bible tells of Jesus' redemption uh, of creation from the fall. So anytime we read about a person in the Old Testament that is kind of set apart as special in some way, we see Jesus as the perfect version of that in the New Testament. So Jesus is the perfect Adam. Jesus is the perfect Moses, and here we see that Jesus is the perfect Eliakim, okay? Uh, The name Eliakim means God will raise up or the resurrection of God. So he's making it very clear to us this is what he has in store for us. In the eternal kingdom of God, not just the kingdom of David, at the will of Jesus, the door is open or closed, this is the same kingdom that Jesus has said, uh, has said it has come near when he was out preaching. You know, the kingdom of God is near. Um, during his earthly ministry, this is the same kingdom that we just talked about when we read the Lord's Prayer. When we ask, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Revelation 
places us squarely in the tension between earth and heaven. The, the kingdom of God is here now, as revealed by Jesus, and it's also coming anew with the new heaven and the new earth. Prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, the only real access that humans had to God was behind a veil in a little room that was in a bigger room that was managed by like a priestly hierarchy. And now it's just a door. And the only thing between us is Jesus at the door. In verse 8 it says, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I know your works. That sounds familiar. We hear that in pretty much every letter. What are the works in Philadelphia? I really think that the church here has been ushering in the kingdom of God. Jesus says that he has shown them an open door, and because they have but little power, it's going to stay open, that they can't close it. So Jesus only says that it's open. He has authority, and this door is just open. I don't think that that door being open is just for the saints to like walk through into the kingdom of heaven. I think the kingdom of heaven is spilling out of that door, right? Imagine like water flowing out. Jesus is living water anyway, right? And so as the kingdom is, is spilling out, it's spilling onto the saints in Philadelphia. And because as Austin told you, this is the, the letters to seven churches, that means it's, uh, it's a whole number, it's a word for us, that door is open for us and that kingdom is spilling onto us as well here. What are we doing with it? Are we letting the good news of Jesus, his, his victory over sin and death, his forever friendship for those who believe, are we letting this transform us from the inside out? Are we being saturated by this good news that's spilling out from the kingdom of God? I use this term saturated because uh, I read a book by a pastor, his name's Jeff Vanderstelt, and he talks about gospel saturation, okay? It's a, it's a beautiful image. Gospel saturation has us ask, are we regular be, regularly being transformed by the renewing of our minds in Jesus? Are we letting the words of Scripture penetrate or saturate our hearts? And then are we just stopping there? Is that enough? Well, it says in this verse that the church has kept his word, has kept Jesus' word. That means they're following Jesus' commandments, right? And what is the greatest commandment? It's the sort of that trick question, right? It's two. It's, it's love God and then love your neighbor. So it sounds to me like the saints in Philadelphia have been saturated with this gospel and it's spilling out on their neighbors throughout the city of Philadelphia. But I don't think they're being showy with it. I think that they're keeping it simple. And here's why. Do you see the reference to having but little power? That sounds like a fancy way of saying weakness to me. And Jesus told Paul that his power 
is made perfect in weakness. Have you ever felt small or weak or like you didn't have something powerful to offer to the kingdom of God? Do you remember what Jesus could do with a little boy's lunch? He came forward with his two fish, a couple loaves of bread, and he multiplied it to fill and satisfy thousands of people. Jesus will do the same thing with our meager offerings. He takes our our faithful, obedient, little power, and he will multiply it for his kingdom. You might be thinking that's true, okay? I've heard that before. That's a Sunday school story. Yep, yep, I'm with you. But I still don't know what to do, all right? I am one for equipping people. So I'm going to give you a little plan here. Step one, soak up what the kingdom is splashing onto you. Read scripture so that you can hear straight from the source. Stay in contact with a Jesus community like you have here, not just for necessarily like kind of looking out for one another, but tell each other how God is showing up in your lives. Because if someone feels like it's kind of a dry season for them, they'll know God is moving if you are sharing with them. Saturate yourselves with the gospel. Preach it to yourself and to others daily. Step two is then to let the kingdom spill out of you onto other people. Your goal, when you are inviting those who are hungry, right, to come here, your goal is to saturate all of Griffin with the gospel. That sounds huge, right? So uh, one way that you as an individual can begin to do that, be a good neighbor. Okay, what does that mean, right? So a good neighbor would be someone who is invested in the flourishing of your neighborhood. You can start with your street or your nearest houses. Some of y'all may live like acres and acres away from your neighbor, so I'll, I'll let you apply that in your own lives. But you can look around. Who, Who maybe needs a little extra help putting out their trash? Who has something overgrown in their yard and you have yard tools that can help them? Do you see that car seat that's sitting out or that stroller? Maybe that house needs a delivery of bubbles. We serve a God who is a God of joy. I guarantee you he loves bubbles. Can you be the person who sits on your front porch and regularly waves to the people as they leave for work or school? Now, it's one thing for me to say this to you or give you these things. Am I, am I living this out in my life? Well, I am certainly trying. Um, two, two moves ago, when our family moved from the Bay Area in California to the Sacramento area in California, um, my kids and I made up these postcards, and we went up and down our street, and we were knocking on doors, and we were inviting people to have a popsicle party in our front yard. We would provide the popsicles. They just had to bring their camp chairs. Every house where we knocked and someone actually opened the door, we spoke to them, those people came. That was five families. And the other ones where we just left the postcard, one family from there came. Some of the people on the street had lived there for years and had never known each other. Some of them got to rekindle those relationships. And so 
a popsicle party on your street resembles the kingdom of heaven. When we live lives that look like the kingdom of God is here now, because it is, we can build relationships that will lead to an intentional spilling out, an intentional saturation into other people. The same authority of Jesus that keeps that door to the kingdom open is the same authority that he has in the Great Commission when he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Okay, so I'm going to be a good neighbor, but I also got to go out to all nations. Don't, don't let your little power stop you. Before you go into another nation, can you start by going across the street? Can you start small? It's a lot easier to go from neighbor to disciple maker when you know this surpassing value of being part of a kingdom that looks like this. You don't have to feel like a door-to-door evangelist to do this well. You just have to bring your little power to answer the unique call that Jesus has for you on your street, at your workplace, at your grocery store, and eventually it's just going to multiply out, and the good news will saturate Griffin. Verse 9, he says, note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Okay, we see parallel language here with the letter to Smyrna. These are the only two churches of the seven uh, who mention Jews. Both have stern language around these Jewish imposters, calling both synagogue, a synagogue of Satan. The verse before this says they were not denying Jesus's name. Well, for me, the opposite of not denying would be proclaiming. So these folks are out the the saints of Philadelphia are out proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah to Jews who are actively denying this claim. They have to live in tension with a people group who denies that Jesus is their savior. Does that sound familiar? Do we live in a world like that where we love Jesus and some people are telling us why? So since we know that the saints... In Philadelphia, we're loving God and loving their neighbors. This verse vindicates the saints, okay? Keep loving your neighbors. Keep splashing them with glimpses of the kingdom. Let God take care of those who deny him and those who may be lying about him. This verse is no basis for an argument against Jews, as some have have used it. That's quite awful. (laughs) The Jews are God's chosen people. They are the descendants of the Abrahamic covenant. God always keeps his promises. He will keep it there. This this verse is more of an assurance to the saints in Philadelphia and to us to keep proclaiming his name in love, in the tension with people who will disagree with us. Verse 10. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Okay, it is still revelation, so we still get 
parts like this. I am not prepared with any sort of confidence to tell you what this hour of testing will look like. I don't know when it's coming, what does soon mean? Uh, I can't say that we in this room are actually gonna be spared from it like the saints in Philadelphia. I mean, I would like to think so, there's a good argument for this, but I am not ready to claim absolute certainty about this. What I do know and what we can see here is the facts that apply to everyone everywhere. Jesus is coming back, okay? There will be a reckoning, and for those who love him and keep his word, we will have a place with him forever. I think uh, some of us church folks can have an unhealthy fascination with the timing of these things, uh, with the future, when, when is Jesus coming back? And sometimes we give ourselves anxiety about it or we just kind of obsess or worry over it, but I think if we can remember that we are current citizens of that kingdom, that door is open to us now, that's what's coming for us and what we have now, it, it would be easier to, to follow him and keep his word and proclaim his name and just be so busy about our father's business that we don't have time to worry about when he's coming back. We are just ready. To the one who, con or sorry, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. Okay, you might think we're almost done, but this part, this verse right here, is the one that spoke to me the most, and I am so excited to share this with you. Uh, just like in the previous letters, we see this promise to the one who conquers, the, the overcomer, uh, someone who stands firm in Jesus through trials and testing. But here we see a very, very personal promise to the church in Philadelphia. And back up just one second. Do you guys remember the story of Hagar, the servant of Sarah and Abraham, who is forced to bear Abraham's son, and she flees when his wife Sarah is in this jealous rage, and she's like wandering out in the wilderness alone, and God sends an angel to speak to her, and he, he sort of assures her. He makes a promise of his own to her. Uh, oddly enough, it's a promise to multiply her as well, what she brings. He will multiply that. Well, he, he, he says this to her, and she replies to him, you are El Roy. In this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me? Okay, I make this connection because... God's promise to Philadelphia here really is so personalized. I, he has written it to Philadelphia, but it is for us. But let me show you how you also have a God who sees you. Philadelphia lies about 30 miles east-southeast from Sardis of last week's letter. It sat on a fault line and experienced earthquakes. The original hearers of this letter would have had one that happened in 17 AD that was devastating. That would be in their recent memory when they are hearing this letter read to them the first time. Because of this kind of geological instability that they had, they kind of fanned out to the countryside, started growing grapes in hopes of, of making a living. So Philadelphia knows about earthquakes. Philadelphia 
would see Greek pillars and Greek columns. Philadelphia has seen those pillars and columns crumble and fall, and it scared them, and they fled. Okay? Do you see how not just their works that we talked about a couple verses before, but even their circumstances are seen by God? Jesus tells them that once the city of God arrives from heaven, they will be made into a pillar in the ultimate temple, one that's never going to be shaken by an earthquake, okay? It's never going to crumble. They're never going to be so scared that they flee. Instead, they enter this temple and never, ever, ever have to leave it. But wait, there's more. At one time, the city of Philadelphia was so committed to the emperor that they changed their name to Neo-Caesarea, New Caesarea. Okay? But because the saints in Philadelphia kept Jesus' word, they were overcomers by their faithfulness. Jesus promises that this pillar will now bear the name of God, not the emperor. This pillar is going to be sealed with their eternal address of New Jerusalem, not New Caesarea, and a new name not of their choosing will be given to them by Jesus. Verse 13. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Have you been blessed by hearing this prophecy today? I'm not saying have you been blessed by hearing me necessarily, but I hope that you will let it saturate your hearts and your minds. Know that you have a God who sees you. He knows your circumstances. He knows how little power you truly have. All he might be asking is for you to cross the street. When you cross the street, when you love your neighbor, he can multiply whatever weakness you bring for his glory. The, the last part of the verse in that first chapter of Revelation that says that we will be blessed by, by reading it and blessed by hearing this prophecy, at the end of it, it says that we are to keep what is written in it. So if Jesus, with the power and the authority to hold this door open for the kingdom to be coming out and spilling on us, if the God who sees you were to be writing this letter to to you, either the church in Griffin or even you specifically, what part comes after I know your works? Where can you do the next right thing to keep his word and not deny his name? What might you need to add to or eliminate from your life to ensure that you are saturated by the gospel? Who in your life right now is Jesus asking you to show up for? Who is hungry that needs that invitation? 
who needs to experience what the kingdom of God is like right now, right here in Griffin. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that as your people, that door is open to us. Help us not let that go to waste. Help us to live every moment being filled and filling others with your presence. I pray that as this church in Griffin moves towards inviting the hungry, that you will multiply the little spaces that they enter into, the weaknesses that they bring. Lord, we trust that you will multiply this and it will all be for your glory. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.